Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. And sadly, but not surprisingly, I have known quite a few people in my life who are now dead. And that's one of the things that you experience when you get to be middle age, which is where I am. Uh, it's even less surprising if you consider that I come from a large family my mom was one of ten children. My dad was one of seven. And also, I was kind of unusual in many ways, but in the sense that as a young person, I often enjoyed making friends with old people, uh, you know, especially like old guys. I like to sit around with old men and hear stories about all the crazy shit they've seen in their lives. You know, guys like Bill Banner or Johnny Caps or Charles Yost. I mean, these these are names that mean a lot to me. You may not know who I'm talking about, but basically these are are these are guys who, when I met them, were in their uh, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, in that range. And so I got to to experience them dying. But anyway, uh, and then uh, in fact, I remember one time I was talking to Bill Banner. Bill was uh, he was actually a broadcasting pioneer uh, and he was one of those guys who had such a storied life his father his father was one of Teddy Roosevelt's rough riders and when Bill Banner was I think five years old his father was working in uh, broadcasting to some extent and he took Bill to the opening day of NBC in New York and um at that event, there was, uh, you know, there were all kinds of celebrities who were attending, and one of them was Marconi, the guy who more or less invented radio, and his, Bill's dad took little Bill up there to Marconi, and Marconi shook his little five-year-old hand. So I actually had a friend who shook Marconi's hand. Anyway, Bill, he would say, Gosh, Josh, getting old sucks so badly. He says, you know, he, he was in his 80s. He says, he says, one of the worst things about getting old is that you have to watch all your friends and loved ones die. If you outlive them, you have to go through the pain of losing them. So anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is that, you know, over the past couple of years, we have lost quite a few big personalities in the world of the paranormal, the unexplained, uh, of course, Jim Mars, Brad Steiger, Art Bell, and just today it was announced that Stanton Friedman died yesterday. He was 84 years old, and uh, you know what's interesting, to, to help you put this in uh, context from my point of view... Five years ago, in in March of 2014, there was a George Norrie Live event in Boise, Idaho, and the three speakers who were invited to be there with George, the three guests, were myself, Jim Mars, and Stanton Friedman. So that was just five years ago, and I'm now the only guest that George had at the Boise event who was still alive. That shows you in five years how much can happen. What an honor that was to be billed with those guys. But you know, let me tell you something about Stanton Freeman. He was 84. 
he died apparently at an airport on his way back home he was a canadian he lived in canada and the fact that he died at an airport and, and they haven't said exactly what happened i don't know if he had surely he must have had a heart attack or something i don't know um but it does not surprise me that he died at an airport because stanton friedman that guy was always on the go I don't know how he did it. You know, he just recently announced he was going to retire, but apparently he didn't because he was coming back from a speaking engagement in Ohio. Uh, he was everywhere. If there was a big event, if it had anything remotely to do with UFOs, he would he would fly. He, it didn't matter if he had to, you know, connect through three or four airplanes uh, or airports. He would fly all over the world lugging books around and i mean he'd set up his table and that was his thing i mean like i don't know i there's no way that i i personally would would travel like that even if my life depended on it i just can't eh, it's it's so so stressful the fact that he was able to do that up until the day he died is astounding and it shows you how committed that he was to getting the word out about ufos and and what he did and I, you know, I, I actually I got to know Stanton uh, Friedman quite well. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you about the first time I met him was when I was hired to speak at the International UFO Congress. That was back when it was being held in Laughlin, Nevada. And when you spoke at that conference, they would fly you into Las Vegas, and then you would get on a shuttle, and they would shuttle you the hour across the desert down to Laughlin. And I ended up on the same shuttle as him coming from the airport. And I couldn't believe it because I, again, you know, he, I'd, I'd actually interviewed him um, on the radio. Actually, th- I don't know, maybe I didn't interview him until after this because I believe this was the very first time I ever talked to him. I think, I think I arranged, yeah, that's what it was. I arranged to interview him on my show, Speaking of Strange, after this. So the very first time I ever got a chance to talk to Stanton Friedman, I, we were in person and uh it actually was when we got off the shuttle because we weren't seated near each other which is unfortunate i would have enjoyed to have an hour to uh to chat with him but anyway when we got off the shuttle i walked up to him and uh after you know the the polite introductions and all that i uh, asked him mr friedman what do you think of the possibility that ufos in some cases may be tulpas and you know what he said to me? He said, What is a tulpa? And I was amazed that this man who had spent his entire life studying UFOs and the possibilities of what's out there and what's going on didn't even know what a tulpa was. And I explained that to him. Now, the reason I say this is that that shows you what a nuts and bolts scientist he was he was a nuclear physicist he wasn't interested in like these imaginary sort of abstract concepts about collective consciousness and metaphysics and tribal manifestation or any of he was he was a he, he that was a very um technical point of view he, he so i explained what a topa was to him and he just kind of shrugged that off. And again, guy was a nuclear physicist. And whenever you talk to him, one of the great things is, you know, he really listened to you 
And then he really gave you a response, even if it was a cutting response. I mean, he, he never felt like that it was his role to necessarily be Mr. Nice Guy. I mean, I saw him be very aggressive and argumentative with many people over the years, but uh, he made very good points. Uh, and so, you, you know, he, he, he was a really courteous nice guy i really enjoyed talking to him and of course i interviewed him numerous times and then as it turns out over the years i don't even know how many times we kept crossing paths uh we'd we'd show up i'd be a speaker at an event and he'd be there and we'd go over and we'd chat for a while so i got to see him many times and you know what every time you go to an event and stanton friedman was set up there with a, a table with his books there was always a line there was always a crowd of people around him everybody wanted to meet stanton friedman i mean everybody really looked up to this guy and hell he he's been on the speaking circuit for i think since like the 1960s i mean you know just non-stop speaking everywhere guy was a legend in the field of ufology and uh, and always happy to participate in in the conversation but again he was he was a no-nonsense man and so i'll tell you uh a memory that i have that uh i think is one of my um well this is an outstanding memory for me you'll see why so let's go back to five years ago again here i was in boise idaho which is by the way a really cool kick-ass town i had no idea i mean i it's beautiful there that it's they have a great nightlife i mean everybody's really nice it's you know good restaurants i mean i was if you've never been to boise you'd be, you'll be surprised if you go to boise so um we we were doing this in a big old theater nice old egyptian theater and uh you know i've done george nori live a handful of times now and so for this one like i say it was the three speakers because george you know he back in those days he only had three speakers now sometimes he expands it a little bit so it was me jim mars stanton freeman now jim mars you always save jim mars for last okay because jim mars he gets when he gets on stage that dude kills it like like if we were stand-up comedians we'd be like that guy's murdering them he's a people loved hearing jim mars speak um he was he just Jim Mars did not give a fuck about whether or not you were offended about what he said because he would give his opinion. I mean, and he would just lay it out there and people loved that, you know? And he and he was had such an encyclopedic brain. So anyway, I did my uh my stint on stage. Everybody seemed happy, you know, I got a lot of applause and all that. So anyway, I came off stage and I sat down in my seat to just watch the rest of the show and my seat was right next to Stanton Friedman so I sat down next to Stanton Friedman and knowing Stanton Friedman okay he didn't have to say anything to me but instead he leaned over and he had the most impressive bushy arched eyebrows I've ever seen I've ever seen kind of reminded me of an owl or something he leaned over and he raised those big eyebrows and his eyes brightened up and he kind of like touched my arm and he said, that was a really good job. And I could not believe that this this legend had sincerely said that to me. And because this is a guy, 
who's been doing nonstop speaking engagements longer than I have currently been alive. You know, I mean, I'm, like, like I say, decades, decades, decades. And yes, that was a huge compliment to me, but it also tells you something about him. What a nice dude, you know, to, to, to make that gesture. He could have just been like, hey, good job, you know, or whatever. You know, but or like I say, he might not have said anything at all. But he he liked to engage. He was a very social person. And we'll never know uh, the extent to which he brought credibility to this field. Because he was not some kook. You know, he was not somebody saying, I'm a contactee and I have a message about the salvation... Because he was a bona fide nuclear physicist who took a no-nonsense point of view, I think a lot of people started taking the UFO field seriously who, that, who would not have taken it seriously or certainly as seriously otherwise. So the credibility that he brought at a time when the government was still doing everything they could to you know cover this all up... Um, that that shows you this dude had guts. I mean, he I'm pretty sure he realized that once he made that decision to do this, his career as a nuclear physicist was probably over or at, you know, at very least in grave jeopardy. But he did it anyway. And he did it right up until the last moment. It's almost like you know, the maestro dying on stage when he finishes the last note of his great ode and so therefore uh talk about a guy who found his destiny and just went for it 110 percent and fulfilled it so we've lost another legend folks but great guy honor that i uh, had meeting him and what what can you say you know rest in peace right rest in peace that's how you know that uh spirituality is one thing but we're always going to have religion in the world because when people pass we we have to figure out what to say uh, to each other about that religion will always persist in one way or another if for no other reason that one um we we don't know what to say when people are gone and uh i think maybe it's just reassuring to say well you know see you soon See you soon. I'll be there soon, right? Because we know, doesn't matter who you are, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're feeling right now, maybe you're having the worst day of your life, maybe you're having the best day of your life. But whatever it is, guess what? It's going to end. I had a friend one time who was about to commit suicide, and... uh he told me I'm about to commit suicide, and I said, "Well, okay, you know, uh, if that's if that's what you feel is right for you, but I just want you to keep this in mind. I think you're being really impatient because if you just hang on there, if you just, dude, you're going to die. Okay, you're going to die. Don't worry about that. So you may as well just." Go out and, you know, try to have a little more fun. Do a little more something before you do that. And he said, yeah, well, I guess that's true. Well, yeah, you don't need to rush it. Stop being so damn impatient. Be patient. It will happen. Well, he's alive to this day. 
and that was a long time ago that was probably 20 years ago so you know you have to be realistic about things but just today just today my buddy Ron Hill investigator Ron Hill who is uh, a graduate of my paranormal investigator classes along with of course investigator Missy Hill his wife uh, he posted on Facebook kind of an interesting story about a cat at a cemetery now you see um, you may or may not know that my great friend investigator Shelley Wright has a Facebook group called Daily Paranormal Insights. Now, you know, I've known Shelley Wright for I don't even know how many years. We have investigated all over the place, Transylvania, all over Puerto Rico. She's been on TV with the Brown Mountain Lights and Nat Geo here. I mean, like, she has an extensive um, background in paranormal investigation. And as a matter of fact, right now, today, as I speak, she is on an airplane, last I heard. Yep, on an airplane, and uh, heading off to do this epic paranormal investigation. And um, she'd probably be okay if I told you where she was going and what she was doing, but I don't want to take a chance with that. You'll just have to see what she posts at her Facebook group, Daily Paranormal Insights. And by the way, um, I do have you know a Facebook page, but I just do very basic stuff. I just you know go on there and I'll post a message and I'll post a picture or a link and that's about it. I don't do anything creative and fancy like set up groups and organize. I don't even I don't even know like if if you have to be invited to this group she has or if you can just join it. I'm not. I don't even know. See that shows you I'm getting older. I don't even understand all a lot of this fancy shit on Facebook. So, uh, but. If you are on Facebook, you should you should look up Daily Paranormal Insights, which Shelley Wright uh, produces. And I mean, she's really good at every single day posting really interesting stories and content, and I'm sure she'll be doing that on her journey. So, Ron Hill posted this article about this cat, Barney the Cat, who they called the Cemetery Cat. Okay, so... Let me, I'm bringing up this story right now. So, apparently the story is, okay, this this is a cat from England. There's this little island, apparently, called Guernsey, off the coast of England. And then there was a cemetery at the St. Sampson's Parish Church. And apparently, 20 years ago, Barney which is a ginger tabby. You know, the, the the Brits talk about ginger a lot. It's just an orange tabby cat. Um, apparently lived right there next to the cemetery. And then when his family moved, and it, I, the story doesn't say how far away the family moved. I don't know if they moved a block away or a mile away or how, but however far the family moved, guess what? Barney... He didn't want to be there. He wanted to be at the cemetery. He liked the cemetery. So this cat, would all, wherever he was supposed to live, he said, screw this. You know how cats are. He said, screw this. I'm going to live at the cemetery. So this cat goes and becomes the king of the cemetery to such an extent that he becomes an icon. For 20 years at this cemetery, this cat 
is an icon. It's like going to Disney World to see Mickey Mouse. You go to this cemetery to see Barney the cat, but you know what? This cat, Barney, they say he's like an empath or something, and this cat could come up right... He would always come up to mourning people and sense their pain and comfort them. He became such a fixture that the people there at the parish built him his own little house and people would leave gifts to him and all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Yeah, yeah, Barney just died. I'm sorry, sorry. This is, I know I, I didn't mean for this to be a depressing show. Yeah, Barney the cat. For, I, how, I don't even know how old this cat was. The cat's been doing this for 20 years. So it was over 20 years old. But uh, everybody in England is sad, or at least on that island in England, that Barney the cat, the cemetery cat, is no longer there to uh, to comfort people who are there having funerals and whatnot. <sighs> Man. You know what? There is something interesting about that relationship, isn't there? About cats and the energy of death and dying. Do you, do you remember the story of Oscar? Oscar is still alive. Okay. Oscar lives in Providence, Rhode Island. And he is considered a therapy cat. And he has been living at this place called the Steer House Nursing and Rehabilitation Center since 2005. But he came to public attention in 2007 because he was featured in an article by uh, a doctor in the New England Journal of Medicine And this doctor said that Oscar appears to be able to predict when somebody is about to die. That within two hours of death, two hours of death, Oscar will come up there and uh, roll up with a person. And and then, you know, then they die. And, I mean, this is so consistent they said after this happened for 25 times it got to the point where the staff decided they would actually call the family members if they saw him do that because they knew that person was about to die isn't that something after they they saw this happen 25 times and then said okay we can't explain how this cat is sensing this person is about to die but it obviously it he is and so, when we see him in that pose, time to call the family members and be like, uh, listen, isn't that an interesting uh, concept? Uh, listen, uh, Oscar just uh, just curled up with your mom. And you're like, oh, Oscar's the angel of death. So you rush to the funeral, or excuse me, to the nursing home, soon after to be the funeral home. You rush to the to the nursing home, and sure enough, they said, uh, let's see, as of 2010, this has accurately happened over 50 times. Well, hell, that was nine years ago. I, I don't know what the latest statistics are on that. Isn't that something? And, of course, people have all these theories. They say, well, maybe it's just uh, he's, he's smelling some chemical that's being released. And, uh, you know, he is, uh, he's picking up on, you know, organs shutting down and the aroma. The... Well, if that's the case, you'd think that that phenomenon would be much more common, wouldn't you? 
I mean, Oscar can't be the only cat that can smell that, right? I mean, like you'd think that if that if it's something as tangible as a smell, this should be kind of a widespread phenomenon. And then some people say maybe he just notices some other thing we're not noticing, some stillness in the room or what. Look, nobody can explain it, but it could be that, you know, animals, especially certain animals, have just, they they do have what we can only call a sixth sense for death and dying. And And I hate to say this, I've said it before, but I need to remind you now, we love our little cuddly pets, our little dogs and cats. But they have been designed by millions of years of evolution to be predators. And predators like weak prey. That, I mean, that's, that's how they survive. You don't want to have to go out and fight for your food. Every, imagine if every single day, every single day, every time you eat, you got to get in a fight before you eat. Think about that. You ever thought about like being a wild animal? You're, you're, you're out there in Africa, whatever. And every time you're going to eat, you got to go get in a fight. And even if you know you're going to win, it's you're probably still going to be sore and it's going to hurt and it's going to it's just going to suck, you know. So it makes sense that you are going to look for weak stuff feeble stuff that is already about to die so that it's it it makes that struggle much much less so maybe what we're seeing here is that some of these well these pets are cats and dogs that we hate to think about being predators i mean actually have a very very highly attuned predatorial sense and that they are able to to sense when something is weak and dying and in Oscar's case you know Oscar doesn't have to um to go there and cuddle up but you know he he must be pretty nice but that you know the the thing they say about him which I, I found interesting in this article here is they say that um he's not actually like the nicest cat um says that actually uh he you know obviously he's he's staying in a in a pet friendly facility but Oscar it says here Oscar has been described as generally aloof and quote not a cat that's friendly to people end quote also says sometimes hissing at people when he wanted to be left alone so we have Barney the cat that everybody just loved you know, they're throwing flowers at Barney the cat here in England. Everybody loved him. He was Mr. Personality. And he was there to comfort mourners, you see. Mourners. Oscar the cat. He's not the friendliest cat in the world. But he's there to comfort the dying. Now, what do you glean from that? I don't know. I'm not sure. But... I think, however you you view it, it, it tells you something about the um, the sense that animals have that we don't understand yet about um, you know their ability to tap into the other side. Have you heard about the dog suicide bridge in Scotland? 
I'm sure I must have talked about this in a previous podcast. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, Dumbarton, Scotland. I've never been to Scotland. I've been to England. I've never been to Scotland. Uh, It says there is a bridge there that has been prompting dogs to leap to their deaths since the early 1960s. It's a beautiful but spooky looking bridge. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. And uh, it's a, it's like a big old stone bridge with a fantastic arch. It's It looks secluded like it's in the middle of nowhere. It's got all this vegetation around it. And I'm not sure how far the drop is from the top to the bottom, but it kind of looks like a fixture of a castle or something like that. The whole thing, it kind of looks like an outpost of a castle. I know it's not, but but, but that's what it looks like. And so since the 1960s at least, dogs have been climbing up on top of this thing and just leaping to their deaths. And there's nothing down there, really. I mean... there's just like a little worn pathway underneath in the vegetation and it actually says here in this one article uh, not only have the dogs been plummeting to their deaths but even stranger are reports of dogs surviving that fall only to return to the bridge and do it again until they are dead so why is this bridge a place where hundreds of dogs we don't even know how many hundreds of dogs though for sure have been climbing up and leaping off of this thing why is that you know now this is not some kind of folk tale i actually saw this in a documentary also a while back they were talking about this this is a real phenomenon and no, I mean, nobody can explain it. You know, researchers go there and they they watch it and they're like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on here. I mean, like the most logical explanation they can come up with is, well, there's some kind of a mink in the area and maybe a dog gets up there and it smells that mink or sees some trace of that mink and something about that bridge doesn't give them the proper point of view. There's some optical illusion or whatever and they can't tell where they're... And they jump off the bridge. Well... I don't know. Is that it? Or if that's the case, you'd think, you know, dogs are pretty smart, really. You'd think if a dog jumps off once and it wouldn't go back up there and do it again until it's dead. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to go there and investigate that. Uh, maybe that's a trip we should we should plan, right? Well, that, that might be kind of a fun expedition. Put together a group of 10 people. Everybody pays a few thousand bucks. I get a free trip. We fly over there to Scotland. Check out this dog suicide bridge. You know, I tend to think, now you know uh, how I am, I tend to think that there may be something of a spiritual nature going on here. I would love to dig really deep. Like, you know, there are scientists who would go there and, and just sit there and watch and they would study the bridge, and they'd study the vegetation, and they'd study the dogs, and they'd try to figure out what's going on. I, yeah, I would do all that, but I would take it a step further. You know me. I would be going to the library. I would be digging into the files and the books and finding out the history of that place. I would be talking to locals. I would be testing it with all kinds of strange 
exotic equipment that most people do not have or have access to. I would be doing all that kind of stuff. And I might be able to determine whether or not there is something of a more spiritual nature happening at this place. That these dogs are, they're sensing something that is related to the other side. In fact, think about this. Okay, we've been talking about the concept of death and dying and mourning and how animals may be sensitive to all that. Can you imagine a paranormal show on a channel like Animal Planet? You know, I've been on Animal Planet. If you go to my website, joshuapwarren.com, there's a, a section on the menu that says TV and film work. And if you click that, you can see some samples of me on various television programs over the years. But imagine a show on, you know, a series on on a channel like Animal Planet or, you know, there are a million possibilities now. But the show, okay, it shows dog and cat trainers uh, hooking up with paranormal investigators and going to haunted houses and training these animals to detect ghosts. Do you know how big of a hit that would be? I mean, think about combining people who love to watch animal shows with people who love to watch paranormal shows. That, that could be big. In fact, I think I'm going to pitch that to somebody today. I'd just like to see that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Oh boy, man, that's a good idea. That's one of the cool things about life, isn't it? having a good idea. I've, I mean, I've thought about that kind of thing before, but, uh, you know, it just reinforces it as time goes on and you see these various stories come out. But anyway, you know, what we need to do is just remind ourselves after this this little monologue that I've given you today, remind ourselves that you should never take your friends for granted Never take your loved ones for granted. And maybe it doesn't matter to you, uh, if you if you drop dead today. But uh, if, if there is something you enjoy in life, well, do your best to embrace it. You know, go out there and do it now. If there's a place you want to go, get off your ass and start working to get there. You know, figure out how to do it. it it's a, You know what I found is, is amazing? If you set your mind to doing something that's really important to you and you start telling people what it is, they will help you. Do you realize that? Not not everybody. But the worst people can say is no. So if you figure out what it is that you want to do, whether it's some little goal in your life or it's your life's purpose, and I actually do have tips on helping you find your life's purpose in uh, in some of my books. Um, I think probably if you read Finding Your Magic, which is my ebook at uh, joshuapwarren.com in the uh, Curiosity Shop, I think that will help you find your life's purpose. Um, but wh- whether it's your life's purpose or it's just something that you want to do in your life, like I've always wanted to see the Grand Canyon. You know? I've always wanted to go snorkeling over a coral ridge or, 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 or you know what I'm saying like whatever it is, reef, reef, coral reef whatever it is that you want to do 
if you just write that down and you start telling people that's what you want to do and you start saying to them, hey, is there any way that you can help me make this happen? Someday, somebody will say, well, actually, yeah, I can help you. It's amazing how that can occur. But you have to let people know. You have to let people know. There are a lot of people who will help you if they know what you want. It doesn't do any good to keep it bottled up inside and wait for the genie to appear. So go out there today. Pursue your dreams. Hug your friends and your loved ones. Tell them how much that you enjoy them. All that kind of business. And remember, uh, this is just a dream. This whole reality is just the form of a dream. And the, the type of work that I try to do and present to you is work to help you turn this into a lucid dream. Because you'll be surprised how much you can control in this dream once you become lucid. So that said, much more to come. Uh, by the way, you know, this coming weekend, Creepy Vegas will be running again here in Las Vegas. Creepy Vegas, 7 p.m. Saturday night. I will not personally be there for this one, I don't think. You never know when I'm going to pop up and, you know, when I'm not. I, I guaranteed everybody I would be there last Saturday. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it this Saturday, but you'll be in great hands with Nick Weird. And guess what I have added to the lineup? You know I have a small collection of crash debris from Roswell, New Mexico, right? And occasionally I have brought out a piece of this debris over the years at uh, just two or three little events. And for now, I am going to allow a piece of this crash debris to be presented to you as part of the Creepy Vegas experience. So you're going to get to touch some of the most haunted objects in the world while you hear these amazing stories and see incredible images related to ghosts, UFOs, monsters, psychic phenomena, time slips, true crime, serial killers, all that stuff, okay? You're going, you know, Area 51, you're going to get to, to touch and have your picture taken with some of the most haunted objects in the world. But now, and for a limited time, you're also going to be able to get up close and personal with a piece of the actual crash debris that I was given from Roswell, New Mexico. If you want to do that this Saturday, you better go online and get your ticket. That's the only way you can do it. Nick Weird will be presenting all this to you. Costs $19.95. Go to creepyvegas.com for the Creepy Vegas Ghost and UFO show this Saturday creepyvegas.com and if you can't make it to Vegas eh, that's alright, just go to joshuapwarren.com joshuapwarren.com there's no period after the P and you'll find all kinds of cool stuff that you can explore online I do hope you'll check out my curiosity shop while you are there and remember to click the link to this podcast called Joshua P. Warren Daily it's always short, always free, always commercial-free, independent, uncensored. And I have a lot of very cool information I will be sharing with you in the very near future. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon. <laughs>